Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. All the, uh, all the gang is here. We're oh, here. Yes, Yay. we are here. We have Thomas Patrick Dorian, and Hi. we also have Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. Josh, that's me. So, <laughs> Swedish Ziggy. And, uh, and so, uh, for, you know, I want to point something out just at the start of this show. Um, this is show number 602. Oh, wow. Of the Catholic Cafe. And if you stop and think about that, Tom, we've been together since the very beginning. We added Sam, you know, we got him. He was like sitting in a, a jail cell somewhere, and they said, <laughs> we have nowhere to send this guy. I said, we'll take him, you know. But uh, uh, you, well, you joined us later. I did. Uh, and that's awesome that you've been with us. Uh, I don't know how many episodes you've been on. Been, a lot. It's been, I don't know if it's been 200 quite yet. I know it's been well over 100, though. Okay, well, good. Uh, Tom and I have 600 together. Woo! That's right. That's Six, three, 602. 300 hours of talking. <laughs> That's a there. lot of talking, man. So would, would you go to somebody if they said, hey, I got a lecture I'm giving. It's 300 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But I got to tell you, we are so blessed uh, to have been around this long, uh, working on it like a dozen years, uh, doing the Catholic Cafe. I love it. I love this ministry. Uh, love the Lord. And I love you guys. I'm so glad you're part of this. Um, this adventure that we've had of ministry, and it's been so wonderful. And what's you know, twelve more years and six hundred more episodes. You know, although uh, the way I, the numbering convention I did on the files when yeah. I send them out, I didn't make enough digits. <laughs> it's gonna be like Y two K. The world's gonna implode when we get to show number one thousand. Well, I'm just gonna say I don't know what I'm gonna do. Well, you know, sixty four episodes from now, we're gonna have to skip right over to six 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 seven. So yeah, we're not gonna yeah we're not gonna do show six six six. That's not gonna happen. Uh, totally agree with that. Um, so uh, the, the next thing, well, let's get into our topic today. Uh, I, I know a lot of times that we don't always think about the relevance. And, and that there can be any lessons learned from the Old Testament. Now, a real good Catholic is going to know that uh, that the New Testament is is hidden in the Old Testament, right? And sure. that the Old Testament uh, is revealed in the New Testament. And that you see this this connection. There's only essentially one Bible, the Old and New Testaments, but essentially they're connected. They're joined at the hip, and you can't separate. Maybe you can look at it as two sides of one coin. Um, and so it's good to know both of them, right? But a lot of times we just we kind of t- tune out the first reading at Mass because that's the Old Testament. Yeah. You know, so I like spending time with the Old Testament. And as we're perusing through uh, the, the, uh, the readings uh, on various days, um, kind of uh, looking at the one that was from the Saturday of week three. Yeah. Uh, the, first, the, 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 the first reading, the reading from the Old Testament, uh, and it's from Second Samuel. And it's an interesting little story, and uh, and and Ziggy thought it'd be a good thing for us to talk about, uh, and I agree with him. Uh, but let's let me just let me read it to you. Uh, but essentially, as we're listening, we'll probably do a little exegesis as we're listening to. It's always fun to kind of stop and say, "By the way," uh, but uh, we're talking about judging. Yeah, you know, judging others, uh, and then not necessarily holding ourselves accountable. This is the lawyer in him that liked it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's got that uh, law degree. You got that at the back of a uh, like a Captain Crunch. They were like offering those things. 
<laughs> so, if you had like, if you bought like three, it was the Lucky Charm School. Law, was it Lucky Charm? <laughs> I'm sorry, I had it wrong. But I knew that if you bought three giant size boxes, you got a law degree, yes, which is yeah, awesome. Exactly. Congratulations on that. Uh, but all that, all that said, let's read from Second Samuel. It starts at verse twelve. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh, and when he came to him, Nathan said, judge this case for me. Now, we're going to start by, let's stop there, and we're going to point out that essentially David had just had a, a really sordid little detail in his life take place. Yes. Right? He had just sort of looked over his uh, great kingdom, and he was looking down at the rooftop, and he saw Bathsheba. Yeah. Bathing. Yes. <laughs> she was She was bathing, and so he saw her uh, in her natural elements, as it were, uh, and then he basically had a desire for her, and then essentially the long tail, you know, essentially uh, shortened is uh, he sent her husband off to die in war, yes. so that he could take her as his wife. So, and he did that, right? So that's where this starts, right? The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, Nathan said, "Judge this case for me." Now, always, always be cautious when a prophet comes to you and says. What would you do in this hypothetical situation? Right, yeah, because it's probably going to be about you. But I, maybe I, maybe I say too much. No, it, it, you're right. It kind of reminds me of Socrates, you know, and the way he would approach the Socratic uh, the, method. Yes, exactly. Let me ask it this way. Yes. Mm. In a certain town, so here's what Nathan said to uh, David. In a certain town, there were two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had flocks and herds in great numbers, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He nourished her, and she grew up with him and his children. She shared the little food he had and drank from his cup and slept in his bosom. She was like a daughter to him. Now the rich man received a visitor, but he would not take from his own flocks and herds to prepare a meal for the wayfarer who had come to him. Who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and made a meal of it for his visitor. So... That's the story. And then David, like David grew very angry with that man and said to him, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this merits death. Right? So always be cautious when you're judging people, right? <laughs> always be cautious. He shall restore the ewe lamb fourfold because he has done this and he has had no pity. Right? And now the other shoe drops. Right? right. And so then Nathan says to David, you are the man. Thus, not, it's not like the way we'd say it. No. Hey, you're the man. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a bad year. Yeah, yeah. Man. If you hear that from, from the prophet Nathan, that's not good. That's not good. It's like we'll, we'll stress the word "you." You are the man. You are the man. Not E W E. That's exactly right. <laughs> Thus says the Lord God of Israel: The sword shall never depart from your house, because you have des- despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. And also, when you hear "Thus says the Lord," you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's wait till your father gets home right. in biblical speak, right? Thus says the Lord, I will bring evil upon you out of your own house. Okay, think about that for a second. I will bring evil upon you. God doesn't conjure up the evil. He doesn't make the evil. Right. He brings it out of your own house. Right. In other words, your own evil is going to judge you yeah. and going to rest upon you. Right? That old expression, when the chickens have come home to roost. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what's happening here. Right? Um, I will take your wives while you live to see it and will give them to your neighbor. He shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. You have done this deed in secret, but I will bring it about in the presence of all Israel and with the sun looking down. Right? So it's going to be public. Yeah. It's going to be a major scandal. Everyone's going to know. You can't explain your way. 
out of this. Right. That's not going to, Lucy, you've got some explaining to do. You can't explain this one. Yeah. Right? It's not going to happen. Then David said to Nathan, I mean, David realizes, right, he's been called on the carpet. He realizes that, right? He's been busted. Exactly right. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered David, the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin. Isn't that wonderful how the Lord right, yeah. forgives? Mm-hmm. I mean, through the mouth of David, uh, I'm sorry, the mouth of Nathan, the prophet, the Lord forgives David. Yeah. And that's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? So um, he says, the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin. You shall not die. But since you have utterly spurned the Lord by this deed, the child born to you must surely die. Then mm. Nathan returned to his house. The Lord struck the child that the uh, st- uh, struck the Lord struck the child that the wife of Uriah had born to David, and it became desperately ill. David besought God for the child. He kept a fast, retiring for the night to lie on the ground, sackcloth, clothed in sackcloth. The elders of his house stood beside him, urging him to rise from the ground, but he would not, nor would he take food with them. Um, now, the story goes on after beyond this read, the word of the Lord, beyond this reading, the story goes on and we find that the child dies on the seventh day, mm. right? So there's this terrible punishment. So the Lord essentially, that line is so powerful, right? Right, that this evil is returned to you, right? The Lord will just basically pour this evil on from you your house. from your own house, yeah, right? And so that judgment with which we judge we're being judged with that same judgment. Mm. And that's a powerful thing because that's why we have to be cautious about who we judge and how we judge. Right. Where are we pointing our fingers? Right? I mean, I, I, I think about my own time in my own life and, and, and I know that I've pointed my finger at other people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? I, and there's a part of me that looks at what David did um, and, you know, how David... do. You, I ask you this in all honesty. Do you think when Nathan told that story, right, the the hypothetical situation about the two men, right? do you think that David, when he was so angry, was he genuinely angry that that rich man would take that poor man's little lamb? Well, actually, so I think yes. I think that the, the thing that's beautiful about Nathan's approach here is it, it, it speaks, I think, volumes about how God works in our lives because you know there's an old there's a there's a there's something that god put on my heart years ago in prayer and it's been sort of a guiding principle for me that you can teach a person something but you can't learn something for another person and that in the same way like god he can give us the ten commandments he can give us various prophets and teachers and stuff like that but a lot of times he can't replace the learning process right like we need to learn things for ourselves we need to see things for ourselves and so with nathan approaching him the king in that way he awakened i believe within david as king he, there's a recognition that order is something that's needed right that's contrary to we when we're sinners you know cuz we can point our fingers at david but the whole purpose of this is as we point fingers, there's three fingers pointed back at us. Oh, that's right. right. You know, and so we sinners, what are we doing when we are sinning? We are erasing our boundaries around us, right? We want to make sure, we want to define the boundaries of what's right and what's wrong. And we want it to begin with us. And that's what David in his uh, sinfulness with regard to Bathsheba was trying to do. And he was being called out of that by the prophet Nathan, because the prophet Nathan, instead of making it personal about him, if he had just called him out about what he did, he might have 
had his defenses up, right? right? But instead, he approached him as the king who has a sense of order, and he helped David find that sense of order within him and awaken that within him, and then, boom, he let da- that be the, the convicting force for David, right? And, and I think that was brilliant in my part. Well, God designed it that way so He's i imagine they're very brilliant <laughs> yes exceedingly brilliant perfect indeed it, it, with a capital was, p <laughs> it was it was it was perfect and and so I, I agree with you i think that david essentially um was like he was righteously angry yeah you know at at that story like how could that be and and not what this shows us in our judgment of others is that we are blinded by our own sin right so at that moment, when uh, when when essentially when Nathan says "you the man," <laughs> when he says when he says "you are the man," when when he says that, you can you can just sense all the scales fall off of the eyes of David. Yeah, and he suddenly sees, and that's why David is, I have sinned before the Lord, and he realizes, I accept it, I take that, uh, I, I I'm I'm going to own up to it. Right, I'm going to own the sin and realize that I did sin, and so I, I think that it's. I think the whole thing is genuine there. Um, now the, the story goes on. It's interesting that um, that David uh, at the end of, as, as the story continues in Second Samuel, what you see happens is the baby dies. Then Samuel kind of like he gets up and he goes and he washes and he anoints himself, and he actually goes into the the bedroom chamber of Bathsheba and they conceive another child mm. and the Lord blesses that child right so it, it, it shows you that the Lord is not like got it out for David right. and he's trying to trip him up and with with fancy words and whatever that essentially the whole thing there was to what was desiring uh, humility and repentance and and trying to bring genuine metanoia genuine change to David because he was the legitimate king, and that he needed the Lord. He was anointed by the Lord, but he needed to live up to that. Right. Right? But it doesn't take away from the, the fault, the guilt of, of David at that time to be essentially blinded by lust from the very beginning, and then blinded by power, and I can do whatever I want, essentially. I mean, he did have some kind of modicum of... A subversion, you know, some kind of uh, he 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 didn't do it in the broad daylight and just say he didn't put Uriah to death. Right. He essentially caused Uriah to die, sent him to the front, and said, uh, "How are, find me the front where all the the worst stuffs happen, where nobody comes back alive. It's over there." Okay, Uriah, I'm sending you over there, and I've duty. Uriah goes right and yeah. dies. David knew that was going to happen. Right. Or at least hoped for it. Had his fingers crossed and, you know, stood on one leg and had his head tilted and like saying, I hope this works, hope this works, you know. <laughs> but all that was brought on by lust. I mean, it was brought on by desire uh, that was unholy. Well, there's, a, there's an, a teaching that's very Augustinian about sin. And I think it's very, it's an important uh, teaching. Uh, and that, that has to do with the fact that when we sin, we very often don't think of ourselves as we're not choosing something because it's evil. We're choosing something because we're confused about what's good, mm-hmm. right? We've convinced ourselves that this or that thing is good. It could be, well, the pleasure is good or the, the money that comes from it is good or whatever, the right. approval of this or that person or influence, whatever it might be, whatever good it is has, 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 has blinded us, you know, to, you know, yeah. basically we don't see the after effects of it. We might just zero in on, 
uh, the stuff that we like, but we forget the fact that our actions have consequences and there's a bigger picture and it's yeah, not it's, just about the pleasure and that's know? a little machiavellian right the yeah. ends, ends justify the means i mean it's like no matter what you do yeah to get to that end and we all know that's not right right because we turn a blind eye to it because what we do is we convince ourselves that the thing that's most important is the thing that we want or we're the most important thing and it all begins with us and it's all about us right. you know and it just shows you that David considered himself very important because he was. Right. He genuinely was an important dude. I mean, he really was. He had, he, again, to be anointed by God, to be anointed king by God, to be selected, and, and the whole world knew that. That's a big deal, which bears lots of responsibility. But then David couldn't even see that what he'd done it was wrong. Right. But it was interesting, though, the way, you know, I'm reminded of the, 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 the adage, uh, judge not lest ye be judged or the the adage of you know let's you're going to be judged in accordance with the measure measure that you judge right. right and so in this instance i mean we see that brought to life here with david you know they david is being hit with literally the bat that he said was was right to be right used. and and, <laughs> and death is brought to his house right but it's again now, when you look at that one line that I that I loved so much, um, I will bring evil upon you out of your own house. What that shows you is that's not a punishment by the Lord, right? I mean, the Lord the Lord allows it to happen, but that evil comes out of His house, and so essentially, what he what he punished with uh, was the evil that was born out of what David did. So, if David caused death. Death comes to David's house. Yeah, and the, and the Lord's. Yeah, you bring up an important point too. I mean, God's perfect will is not the. Uh, he got, God's not one who wills like the baby to die in, right. you know, in his perfect will. He's permitting that to happen. Right. But he's permitting it to happen because of what David has invited upon himself. You can bet David doesn't do that again. No. Right. I mean, it's ultimately. I mean, there is metanoia. There, there is change in David. We know the the rest of David's story. We know, we know about the kingdom of Israel and and all these things. And so I, I I get all that. It's just all of us need to see the David in ourselves, where yes. we see ourselves as uh, self important. I know we don't always see ourselves as king. Maybe Tom does with his crown of hair, but but most of us don't see that, right? Most of us, uh, most of us see ourselves as important in some form or fashion in whatever role that we have, whatever job, whatever we're doing at work, uh, our position in the family, uh, our position in the church, our position, uh, you know, how much money we have, whatever it is, we see ourselves a certain way and we have all these rights and we vote and with our, our wallet and our feet and what we say goes and, and, and all these things are, these, and there are, there are rights to be had here, but we need to understand that all of these things are gifts that are given to us that don't belong to us that essentially are on loan to us, and we need to treat them as such. And we can't use those and wield those against others. So we can't see ourselves as these King Davids and we get whatever we say goes. I mean, th- that's not a good king. I mean, I did get that Burger King crown earlier today. I guess uh, I won't nice wear one. it around. Yes, that's... But, <laughs> but, but, you know, Actually, I ask you to wear it around. <laughs> I want you to wear it. <laughs> Well, here, here's the other thing that comes to mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe... That when David, when the town, when the temple is foretold to David, it's because of the sin that he brought upon 
you know, his legacy with Bathsheba, yeah. that it's denied to him to be the person who builds the temple, and it'll be Solomon, Solomon. who builds the temple. Who is his kid. Who's his kid. The yeah, second the kid. The second kid, right. Yeah. And so as a result, I think that it's, it's fair to say, if he hadn't done this with Bathsheba, mm-hmm. God, when giving him kingship, he actually it would have come with an opportunity to be the king who built the temple. Yeah. And so that was denied to him. He wasn't he didn't lose his kingship over this, but he did lose the opportunity to fully express his kingship. Es- essentially essentially that kingship it skipped a generation. Basically. Right. An important very important long lasting part of it. Yeah, then. exactly. Yeah. Now there's another side thing that I always want to point out when I read this particular story that a lot of people miss. Um, uh, you know, some of our separated brothers and sisters, our Protestant friends, when we're talking about things like purgatory, right? right. Um, they, 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 they will like why? Why would you need purgatory? Because Jesus died for your sins. Yeah. Right. And and it was a one and done deal. Jesus died, so you don't you don't have to worry about your sins. You don't have to confess them anymore. I mean, other than confessing to yourself and realizing your guilt and then asking for forgiveness to the Lord. You don't have to do anything about that. And then in our concept and understanding of, of, of the doctrine of or the dogma of purgatory uh, is that essentially that purification that needs to take place for us to be able to go to heaven, yeah. for that, that attachment to sin that we still have. Um, and so and this is an important little thing to note. Um, is uh, is when Nathan says after basically after David says uh, you know I have sinned against the Lord Nathan says these key words the Lord on his part has forgiven your sin you sh- you shall not die yeah but since you have utterly spurned the Lord by this deed the child born to you must surely die so if 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 that idea that our separate brothers and sisters will bring up and say like Jesus died for your sins there's nothing more that has to be done here. Right, it's like no. There must be atonement for the sins. Mm-hmm. That that idea of atonement—that's an ancient biblical notion, and we have to remember that even though uh, we've been forgiven, there is something in us that needs to be fixed. And not, I, and not Tom's hair. Tom's no, hair is, does not need to be fixed. That would not be a problem. <laughs> Very proud. Exactly. Very proud. Well, the Thank other way, I, like when <laughs> when you're talking about uh, purgatory, you're talking about sin and forgiveness. Uh, you look at sin being like a nail and your soul being a piece of wood. And when the hammer, the sinful act, drives that sin, drives that nail into the wood, into your soul, when it's removed, There's right, it's forgiven. There's a hole there, mm. right? And so you can go down to Home Depot and get you some of that wood putty mm-hmm. and fill it up. But the point is, you've still got, you've marred perfection. Mm-hmm. And so there is an attachment to sin. There's a problem. It's not like it was. Uh, on the you know uh, you know it, it, before you know in the, back in the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. right? There, there is fallen nature, and so there is atonement that needs to take place for sinfulness. You can be forgiven and still require there to be atonement. That's what this demonstrates, and so that's why purgatory is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gift given to the church. That essentially we are purged of our attachment to sin. Right? We are made pure. So that we can stand unblemished before the throne of God in his actual presence and not burn up, right? I remember when Moses was in front of the burning bush, you know, he had to cover his face, mm-hmm. right? So because, and, and he came down, he's got all this gray hairs and stuff, you know, it affected him. And, and essentially, it's like, 
you know, can I see you, Lord? No, you could not handle me right now because in your humanity, you couldn't stand in my presence. Mm. So it's got to be veiled, essentially, right? But when we're in his presence in heaven, there's no veil. The veil has been lifted, torn in two, and we see him as he truly is. So we have to be the perfect reflection of him. Purgatory is that way that that Mm. takes place. So David teaches us multiple lessons here. Wow. There are multiple things that we can pick up on this, and certainly, um, I, I just want to go back to the um, the importance of of the culture and the society that we live in right now. That is so judgmental, big time. I mean, extremely judgmental. You you know, and and even if you are rightfully saying that someone else is doing something wrong, yeah. I mean, there are we 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 cast judgment all the time, uh, but we have to be careful. Like that when we're pointing our fingers and we're talking about the problems, to realize that we too are going to be judged in that same way. I I, I think again about um, every time I, I read this, I also think about uh, the Our Father prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses we as we have forgiven others. <laughs> right. So, I, Lord, I want you to forgive me in the same exact way that I've forgiven others, and then I can go down this list of people that I haven't forgiven. Whoops. And now suddenly I'm telling the Lord, "Don't bother forgiving me." Mm. That's scary, right? He's all about forgiveness. He's all about mercy. He's all about love. But he's going to do, I mean, essentially, Jesus taught us to pray in a way that says that we are asking for forgiveness in the same way that we forgive others. So if we haven't forgiven others, we're telling the Lord not to forgive us. Well, as I think Scott Hahn said, it's only our sins that can send us to hell. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. That's You don't go to the confessional and confess somebody else's sins. Right. You know, that doesn't really matter. Right. You know, that's really nice. Thanks for, you know, a little shout out for, you know, Bob, who's a sinner. That's great that you do that. But what about you? Yeah. This is your time. This is about your soul. Right. And so we just need to be aware in this day and age that we're all so willing and so quick to judge others and to tell people what all the problems are and to point out all the faults. And we just need to understand that we have got to look at ourselves, that the, that the great gift given to us is the opportunity to have a mirror sort of just lowered down wherever you walk. You know, we should have hats that had like the bill that comes out in front of us, like the golf hat has a mirror hanging in front of it. <laughs> and we just walk around like that, looking at ourselves and realizing what it is that, uh, that, we're, that we're doing, what we're saying, so that we realize, like David realized, Lord, I've sinned against you, mm. right? And so just to realize that's what's going on. And you know what? One of the great ways to realize that we're loved, but also that we need to be better is having our mama on our side. And so that's why we ask for Mary's intercession. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners now at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.